of a carpenter who was uh, stranded on an island. He was there for some time and decided to build himself a little town there on that island. And on the island for several years, finally he saw a boat come by and he waved at the man to come and rescue him. So the owner of the boat came, parked out by the island, came out and the carpenter was just so grateful that this man rescued him from being on this island for so many years. He says to the, to the man in the boat, hey, let me show you around the town that I built. So the guy cheerfully said, yes, I'd like to see what you've been doing the last few years. So the carpenter takes him through this little town that he put together. And something that really sticks out to this man is, huh, there's a church on that end of the town, and there's a church at that end of the town. But there's only one man on the island. So he asked the man, he said, you know, this is a great town you've built, but I don't get it. Why are there two churches? And the carpenter told him, he said, oh, that one over there? I got fed up with that one a year ago, and I left it and went to this one there. And this silly story tells us something about, I think, our own culture, to be honest. We live in a day when churches abound, and that's a great thing. The only difficulty is that in our culture, there's a prevalent consumeristic mindset that leads many people to think that it's okay to jump around from one church to another, to church hop and to church shop, as if they're going through an Avon catalog looking for the right thing that will tickle their ears. It's hard to put our finger exactly on what the issue is, but the very essence of it, it's a failure to understand what the purpose of a church is, what its function is for. And in theological terms, it's a problem of ecclesiology. And that's the Greek word for church. Ecclesia in Spanish is iglesia. And by nature of the word, it's a gathering of people. Yet when we separate from churches... We go against what it was very, the very thing it was created for, and we breed disunity. The unfortunate thing is that unity should be one of the, if not the highest, priority of the church. We'll look at Romans chapter 15 today, which addresses this issue. And my desire is that we would be a people here at Good News Bible Church who are unified, who are people, a people who are one. Now, I recognize there are many differences here. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But at the end of the day, we've been called to be one. And not just good news, but all churches that believe in Jesus Christ. We're to be one with them. Because there's only one church, because there's only one head. The head is Christ. The very, the very analogy of a body tells us that we're to be a unified body with Christ as our one head. Jesus prayed in John 17, his high priestly prayer, that the church, that the followers, would be one, just as he and his Father are one. So I pray that that would be true of us here. I pray that we would be like a symphony. You know, as a kid, I despised field trips to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I just despised it. And as an adult, I can appreciate it. There's strings, there's brass instruments. Uh, there's a percussion and keyboard and woodwinds, and they all come together, different sounds, to make a harmonious, melodious sound that is pleasing to the ear. And as a church, we come with different gifts, different strengths, different weaknesses, different opinions, but we're all uh, established on the truth of who God is. And when we are together as one, we can live symphonically, 
with a voice that is melodious to God, singing His praise. And that's what Paul wants of the believers in Romans chapter 15. Would you turn your Bibles, if you haven't yet, to Romans 15? I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. And that's the text I'll be preaching from this morning. This is what God's Word says. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray as we commit this to the Lord. Father in heaven, we give you praise for the many one another commands in scripture. And we thank you for the one we have today to live in harmony and to welcome one another. Father, I know as we go through your word today, we're going to see things in our hearts that we're not going to be, we don't like to see. And yet, God, if we are to be one, unified, under the cross, We need to confront those things. And with your strength, be people who pursue unity at the highest costs. So Lord, I pray that you would speak through me today, that your Holy Spirit might empower me and fill me and speak mightily, God, to your people. And we then be exhorted, God, admonished from your word to be a church that lives symphonically. Lord, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul's well aware of the many challenges churches face. You know, Romans 14, he addresses an issue that kind of carries over into chapter 15 that uh, we'll be speaking from today. And the issue is this. There are people in the church who have different opinions. We're well aware of that. And in Paul's day... There was one particular thing that really stood out. He's writing to a church in the city of Rome, where Jews and Gentiles were worshiping the Lord together. But if you're a Jewish person, you're raised in a synagogue, and you came and trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're one who grew up never eating pork, for instance. Pigs were unclean. You didn't touch bacon or chew lettuce. You didn't do that. It was unclean. But when you became a Christian, that kind of carried over. You thought, you know... I recognize that God says all things are clean, but I can't eat pork anymore. I just never did it. It's just, I can't do it. If you're a Gentile, grew up in a pagan Roman society, you had all the pig you wanted. And then when you came to Christ, you figured, there's nothing should change. We have freedom in Christ, so I can eat my pork. And now you have these two people worshiping together, these two classes of people. Those who ate and those who did not eat. So what happens when the Gentile invited a Jew over for dinner and he put ham on the plate? 
And what happened when the Jewish person invited a Gentile over for dinner and had fish and vegetables? Did the Gentile person make fun of that individual? And Paul's addressing these issues of food and of days, someone considering one day holier than another. And Paul tells them that ultimately what we need to do is just live in harmony together. These are not matters of doctrinal truth. These are things of opinion. He says in 14 verse 1. And we need to learn to live together in spite of that. So when we pick up in chapter 15, verse 1, he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. What he has in mind is the strong are those people who recognize that there is freedom in Christ and their conscience doesn't tell them it's wrong. The weaker person says, you know, that I can't do that. And they're, they're weaker in the sense that they're, they don't uh, recognize that they have that freedom in Christ, that they can eat that. But Paul is not saying that either of them are wrong. He just uses the categories of the stronger and weaker. And he tells those who are stronger, who recognize their freedom, to not pass judgment on those who don't have that freedom, but he says we have an obligation to bear with them, to come alongside of them and encourage them. I need to over, I'm going to overstate this. He's not talking about doctrinal truth. Paul's never saying that we need to compromise what we believe in terms of the scriptures, in terms of theology that are essential in order for the sake of unity, that goes against what Paul himself does often when he tells them to cast out the false teachers. We find unity in our doctrine, but on non-essential matters, we need to be willing to compromise and to show mercy and bear with one another in spite of our differences. Another thing Paul is not saying is the strong people are not those who can get as close to the line of sin without crossing over. That's not the people he has in mind. And I've been told before by people that they use texts like this to justify compromise in their life. And Paul's not saying you can compromise, that means you're strong, you have freedom in Christ to compromise and play with sin. It's not what he's saying. You are strong because you recognize there's freedom in Christ. But that freedom should not cause us to walk the line in a way that dishonors the God who gave us the freedom. In chapter 14, verse 15, Paul says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. I mean, that's, that's, he's talking to the strong people. And if you're grieved by what they eat, they, if others are grieved by what you eat, you're not walking in love. By what you eat, you, uh, do you not destroy the one for whom Christ died? Basically, he's saying, Christ loves that person so much, even the person who has a weaker conscience, for instance. He says, you have an obligation to show love to that individual. Not to play with sin, but to show love and bear with them as one who is free in Christ. So let no one turn to a text like this and tell you that it's okay when they walk a life of compromise, indulging in things that God, that dishonor God. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about unity within the freedom that Christ has given us as children of Him. He tells them, do not please yourselves there in verse 1. That word is just, was just as controversial then as it is today. You might have heard of the, the term narcissism. It comes from a Greek mythological character named Narcissus. He was one who walked by the, a pool one day and happened to see his reflection in the water. And what he saw, he happened to like. Wow, that individual is very attractive. So he kept staring and staring and really became pleased with the, the person he saw there, not recognizing it was himself. And the longer he stood, the more he got consumed 
until eventually it would consume him completely. And that's where we get our word narcissism from. From those who are so self-consumed, so self-aware and wanting always to please self. In our culture, that's a very, very prominent thing. We overeat to please ourselves. We over-purchase to please ourselves. We over-accumulate to please ourselves. And Paul says, do not please yourself. Our culture also has this idea of hedonism, where pleasure is the ultimate good. So if it feels good, do it, even at the expense of hurting others. And what Paul is saying is countercultural. It was then, it is today. Don't seek to please yourself. Look out for others. When I was in high school, I went to a camp called Kids Across America. And they had an award called the I'm Third Award. And I remember how important that award was. It was the highest award in the camp. And basically what it said was, the person who was awarded that award says, that God is first in their life, others were second, and they placed himself third. The interests of God took prominence in their minds, and then pleasing others were next before they even looked to themselves. And what Paul is saying, we need to have an I'm third mentality. Not to please ourselves, but to please our neighbor for his good, for building him up. Parents, we have an obligation to teach our children what it means to not be people who are self-indulging. And this is a challenge, especially because I think one of the greatest challenges for parents is to make an idol out of our children. So our world revolves around them. But what we don't recognize is that indirectly we're telling our child that the world revolves around them. And we're creating people who are selfish, self-centered, self-indulging, pleasing themselves over others. And we need to teach generosity, selflessness. If you have a bag of clothes you're going to hand down to somebody, pack that bag with your child and tell them what you're doing. Teach them generosity and giving. And all of us have an obligation to to be that example to others. If we're going to be a unified church, live symphonically, harmoniously, we've got to deny ourselves for the sake of our brother and sister. And that's what Paul is telling the Roman believers here. And by application, he's telling us here at Good News Bible Church, we need to please our neighbor. Do you remember the question that was asked to Jesus? Well, who is my neighbor? One of, the, one of the, the law, people of the law asked him. And what did Jesus do? Like he often did. He told a story. He said there was a man that was traveling down a road and he was mugged by robbers in Luke 11. This is, this is a Jewish man who was mugged. And then a priest came along, didn't help him. Another leader of the law came, didn't help him. And then a Samaritan came, a despised individual. And he helped this Jewish man. He took him, he cared for him. He paid for his lodging. And then Jesus asks them, which one of them was a neighbor to that man in need? And of course, they couldn't help but say the one who cared for him. So when we ask ourselves, who's our neighbor? On the one hand, it's whoever's in need. And if we ask, who are we to be a neighbor to? It's to everyone. So Paul says to love, to care for our neighbors and to look out for his own good, not to have ulterior motives when you help someone. Let me help him out here because I know I'm going to have to ask him to help me another time. But to help, to give without holding back regardless what reward you might receive in this life. 
But I do hear the cries of justice some of you might be feeling. What about the one who's offended you? What about the one who has hurt you deeply? How do I seek to please that person over myself? How do I look out for that person's good? How do I build that person up? And that's a real question. And I praise God because He gave me a very timely answer to that question. And it came in the form of a conversation this past week with a dear brother. He was sharing with me the angst in his heart because he had been offended by one who really wasn't repentant. And he would pray for this individual. And he'd find himself crying in tears for this person that he felt anger and frustration toward. And he says, his flesh wanted to tell him, this person is not worthy of your tears. As God would remind him, but he was worthy of my blood. So when we're confronted with these difficult things, when we feel that angst in our heart, God, how can I show love to this person or seek their good? We're reminded, that's what Christ did. See, the I'm third mentality is always challenged by the I'm first mentality. And we only renew our minds by reflecting upon Christ. And that's what Paul points them to there in verse 3. He says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. What a beautiful word. He's quoting Psalm 69, verse 9. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus, innocent, sinless, received our guilt, our shame, our punishment. There is no greater example of one who turned aside his personal preferences for the benefit of another. And we're told to look at him as our example. He was our substitute on that cross. He bore the wrath of the Father that we could be at peace with God. That's selflessness at its finest. And that's who we are to be imitating. Now I'm certain that there are some here today who really don't know that aspect of God's love. Perhaps you only have a picture of a God of wrath who wants to condemn you and destroy you. When in reality... Jesus was that one who took your place, took the condemnation you deserved to give you life. And if you don't know that hope today, would you look at that text there in verse 3? And would you know that God loves you and that Jesus took your place as the greatest example of one who did not please himself to give you life and forgiveness if you believe in him? After our service today, we're going to have a time of prayer um, during our last song you want someone to pray with you, take advantage of that time. Because Jesus took your place, He took our place to redeem us. And that's why we ought to look at Him as our great example. Paul tells them in verse 4, For whatever was written in former days, because he just quoted Psalm 69 verse 9, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scriptures we might have hope. He tells them to look to Jesus as our example and reminds them that in the scriptures we find endurance and encouragement. I think what Paul is doing here, he's acknowledging that unity is not easy. Selflessness is not easy. But we need to look to Christ as our example and we need to get in the word to be, endu- to be encouraged and to endure in this pursuit of honoring God. 
And he says, there we find our hope for this life and for the eternity. Our hope in this life and for eternity. Sophia told me that she was at a workshop this past week. And she heard a quote, and I'm going to use it. I think she put it on her Facebook this week. But someone told her in this workshop, the Purwana leaders, that we had to put our face in the book before we go on to Facebook. Well, that's pretty good. And that's a good principle. To get yourself in the Word every day, even before you start going to all the distractions that bombard us. Because here we find our hope. Here we see Christ's example. Here we, are learned to, we learn to endure. We are comforted, encouraged. We need to hold fast the Scriptures. And we're going to be a unified body who practices I'm third mentalities. Well, Paul goes on in verses 5 through 7 in a really fascinating way to stress unity. Seven times in these three verses, he uses words of unity. Follow with me as I read verse five, verses 5 through 7. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. That's one. You have an NASB says, uh, same mind, have the same mind. Or NIV says, a spirit of unity. But that's the first word of, of unity. That we live in such harmony with one another, a second one. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together, a third, you may with one voice, four, glorify the God and Father of our Lord, that's five, Jesus Christ. Verse seven, therefore, welcome, that's accepting, that's six words, one another, a seventh word, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Seven times in three verses, he's stressing unity. Verses 5 and 6 parallel verse 7 in two different ways. There are two one another commands, one in each of those sections. In verse, verses 5 and 6, the one another command is to live in harmony with one another. In verse 7, it's to welcome one another. And there are parallels there between living in harmony and welcoming one another. And in both sections, the goal is the same. Look at that in verse 6. And then look at verse 7. Verse 6 says, with one voice, we might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And end of verse 7, for the glory of God. Ultimately, the end, the goal, the purpose of unity in the body of Christ is that God might be glorified in us. So when disunity, discord, strife starts to divide us, it brings reproach upon the name of God. And we want to resist that and be unified, that God might be glorified in us here. Good News Bible Church, don't we want to glorify the Lord in the way that we operate with one another? We are created for that very purpose. We are a body, one head, one body. So let us function like that. Paul puts it in verse 5 in the form of a prayer. May the God of endurance, this is a prayer, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. He's using his prayer in a way to kind of exhort them roundabout. It's not like the kid in you know, YouTube says, God, I'm glad I'm not like Bob who's sitting next to me. It's in a kind of roundabout way trying to address a person. No, Paul's trying to use it to build them up. He's praying while exhorting them to live in harmony. Why pray? Why pray for unity? Let's just do it, right? Let's just lock arms and... And walk together and eat bread together. You know, unity does not come naturally. And we need God's intervention if we're going to be people who are one. So that's why Paul prays. He says, God, help them be this. 
Because they can't without you. We need wisdom. When divisions do occur, how do we mend those things? How do we see, get to a place where we can see like-minded? We need to pray that God would grant us the wisdom for that. How do we deal with those who are disruptive and who are rebellious and who don't want to see unity? We need wisdom. And we need to pray. James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, but not doubt. And Paul is asking God on their behalf, God, just give them wisdom. Let them be people who are in harmony with one another. Harmony. I was thinking about that word, and I think of choirs when I think of harmony. So I went on YouTube and decided to listen to Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And as I listened to them sing, I couldn't tell you how many voices are there. Couldn't tell you how many men or women. Couldn't tell you their social economic backgrounds, their gifts, their, their height, their family background. I, I can't tell you anything. I can't even differentiate from one person to another, to be honest, because they're in harmony. But one thing I did notice is that all of them spoke with one voice. And their voice was to the praise of God. And that's what it's like when we operate together, certainly when we sing, but even when we serve and go out and share the gospel and teach and disciple one another. To be of one voice as we do that. And that's what Paul's calling them to and telling us to be. With one accord in Christ Jesus. That's how Jesus looks and that's how we are to follow in his steps. Let me read verses 5 through 7 one more time. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. Unity is not an end in itself. Consider Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. They were very unified in their project. But the goal was not to the glory of God. Companies want to have unity amongst their employees. Athletic teams amongst their team members. Schools want to have unity among the classmates. But the unity in the church is that God might be glorified in us. Now we're in Brooklyn Tabernacle here at Good News. One thing I really was grateful for having an acoustic set today is I got to hear the voices a little bit better than normal. And as I mentioned last week, I'd like to just stop and listen and hear us sing. And to think, if we could just walk in that same harmony, walk in that same manner for the main goal of glorifying God, what a joy and delight that would be. Now I mentioned earlier in, in the sermon that we have clear differences within the body of Christ. I mean, they're clear ones. But there's got to be a unity in diversity. There's diversity in our differing opinions, but there's unity in the truth we ultimately stand on. There's diversity in our gifts, but there's unity in our aim for building up the body. There's diversity in our ages and gender, but there's unity in the fact that we're all children of God. There's diversity in our place of spiritual maturity, but there's unity in the in that we've all been redeemed by the blood. There's diversity in our color and in our languages, but there's unity 
in that we'll all sing praises to the Lamb of God who was slain. There's diversity in that some are vegans, vegetarians, organic eaters, carnivores, meat eaters. But there's unity in this. We will all, who are children of God, sit with Christ and partake in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we need to often look beyond our minor differences to the greater unity we have as those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ for the unity, for the ultimate goal of glorifying Him. Paul tells us that we have to welcome one another. He can also say accept one another. This is the same word used in Acts 18 when Priscilla and Aquila pull Apollos aside to show him the way of God more accurately. They receive him in. They don't get on him and ridicule him because he didn't have the full truth. But they pull him aside and say, let us build you up and seek your good here. And for the benefit of the church and for the glory of God. And that's what Paul wants us to be. People who welcome one another. But then he says, as Christ welcomed you. But think about it. How were you welcomed into the family of God? Think about it. Think about your own personal story. If you are a child of God, how were you welcomed? Spiritually speaking, you were naked and blind. You were an object of wrath. You were an enmity with God. Now, some of you came to Christ later in life. You might, have, you might have a longer testimony behind you. Some of you came to Christ earlier in life. But at the very core, we are all separated from God. So how did Christ accept us? As we were. As we were. On no basis of our own. But simply on grace and mercy. And we need to be reminded that that's how we got to accept one another. We've got to accept one another as we've been accepted. Can you imagine if God judged us by the way we often judge one another? It would be a frightening thing. So my prayer for us here, good news, is that we would look at the words of Paul here in Romans 15, and that we can say, I want this to be us. I want us to be harmonious, to live in harmony with one another, to welcome one another, in spite of our differences, in spite of the ways we let one another down, to offer forgiveness, as Pastor Ralph opened this series talking about, and that the love of Christ might supersede all of our differences, those especially, those that are non-essential. So, dear people of God, will we go forth, unified as one, practicing the one another's, so that Christ might be glorified in us, to the praise of His glory. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, we thank You that the matters that confront us these days aren't much different than the matters confronting the church from its beginning. Lord, we know that we are people who just by nature are selfish. And we look to Jesus as our great example of one who was not. And God, I pray. I pray for Good News Bible Church. I pray for us, God. May we live in such harmony together. Lord, we know these things don't happen overnight. God, we know there are legitimate hurts and pains. We pray for help, Lord. 
that your healing hand might be among us, upon us, where divisions exist, that you would mend those. And that God, with one voice, with one voice, we can sing praises to you. In the name of Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. This time, we're going to close in on the final song. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we're going to have prayer counselors come forward. Can you come forward right now, please? And as they come forward, if you have a burden on your heart that you carry right now, pray with someone. Pray with them. In this series, we're not going to be able to talk about it. James 5 says, pray with one another. That's one of the one another commands. We pray with one another. That you might have someone carry that with you. If you don't know Jesus today, there is no greater life than life in Him. There's no greater life than life in Him. And I praise God that we don't have to say that tongue-in-cheek. And if you don't know Him, if you don't know that life, would you come talk with someone? And I ask them to share what that means to be a follower, a disciple of Christ. And would you know what it means to be forgiven and receive the joy of the Lord? Would we all stand together and with one voice, could we? harmoniously declare to our God 